All right, let's get moving. Good morning. Um, let me take a uh, let me take a quick poll. So, how many of you have uh, completed Lab Four? Completed Lab Four. Wow, that's great. So, uh, um, how many people have begun Lab Four? Okay, well that's good. I won't ask the I won't ask the last question. Okay. So, uh, well, I hope you're having, uh, I hope you're having fun with this lab. Uh, lab 4 was designed to be almost like a mini project. And it sort of ties together a lot of the content of the entire course. And it's not unlike the kind of systems that people design in, uh, in industry, uh, in systems that go into a variety of devices like, uh, say, for example, uh, you know, digital CD players and stuff like that. A lot of mixed signal stuff goes in. Okay. So today, so today I'm going to continue with our discussion of energy and uh, CMOS. CMOS will be a new topic that I will introduce. So in the last lecture, we spent a fair bit of time talking about energy and how to compute the energy of our inverter. So let me start from where I left off. And uh, I've given you a couple of extra pages of notes today uh, just to sort of tie it uh, to the previous lecture. Uh, right now, I'm going to start off on page three. So uh, what we saw last time was an inverter of this sort. Vs, Vn, and we said let's study the situation where this inverter was driving a load capacitor C. Um, where did this load capacitor come from? Well, this inverter could be driving one or two or three or four other logic gates. Okay, so this C is the lumping va lumped value of the gate capacitances of all of those inverters. This may also in include some component due to wiring capacitance and stuff like that. So, uh, so for an uh, inverter like this, we showed in the last lecture that the formula for the average power was so this was a static power independent of frequency, and this was called dynamic power, and it had some bearing. Uh, it's related to the f frequency at which you clocked your, clocked your circuit. So this was uh, related to standby power, and this to dynamic. So what I also said is that I give you a bunch of numbers so you could compute the power, the, the, the power consumption of a uh, chip that included 10 to the 8 gates, 100 million gates, and uh, at a frequency of 1 gigahertz, and uh, a bunch of other numbers. C was given to be 0.1 femtofarads. This is, uh, femto is 10 to the minus 15. So uh, F was uh, 10 to the 9. 
Vs of 5 volts. And uh, so for these numbers, if you, plot, if you plonk them down in, uh, in something like this, for 10 to the 8 gates on a chip, the average power would be 10 to the 8 times these two. So this would be 5 squared, which is uh, 25, divided by twice RL was given to be 10 kilo ohms. So uh, twice 10 to the 4. And here we had uh, CVS squared. So C was uh, 10 to the minus 16, 0.1 femtofarads. Uh, Vs squared was 25, and F was 10 to the 9. So if you uh, crunch through the numbers here, what you end up getting is something that looks like this. 10 to the 8 times uh, this guy here, uh, this is 1.25 milliwatts, plus this guy ends up being 2.5 microwatts. So, uh, so this should come as a bit of a shocker. Uh, if I take 1.25 milliwatts and multiply that out by 10 to the 8, this says that each gate suffers a standby power loss of uh, 1.25 milliwatts. So times 10 to the 8, I get 125 kilowatts. And this guy yields 250 watts. Okay, the 250 watts is manageable. It's still high, and uh, just so you don't think that this is unreasonable, when the Pentium 4 first came out, it was consuming 170 watts of power. Okay, you should see the heat sinks, uh, heat sinks on there. Uh, there's actually a huge heat sink with a fan built into the top of the heat sink. Okay, today it's down to more uh, reasonable numbers like uh, uh, like 100 watts and so on, but when it came out, it was uh, in this range. So this is not, it's high but not unreasonable. But this, of course, is, is totally wacko. Okay, you may imagine carrying a laptop around and, and the sucker is, you know, blowing 125 kilowatts. So that'll be, uh, that'll be fun. So, uh, so clearly there's something wrong here, okay? It, what this is saying is that this gate here consumes 125 kilowatts if there are 10 to the 8 of these on a single chip. Okay, so we clearly have to do something about this, otherwise our semiconductor industry, you know, would fail. So uh, anybody have any ideas? Uh, what do you think you might do here? What do you think might do to this inverter to uh, make this look better, to, to, to bring it down? What can I do? Anybody? Any ideas? What do you think? But the problem is that if I look at this 125 kilowatts, well, there's a VS term here, an RL term here. So I can increase RL. Okay, I can make RL four times, eight times as large. That'll bring the power down somewhat. Uh, anybody think, can think of any problem with increasing RL? If I make RL really, really large, will I run into other problems? Yes? Exactly, it'll slow down the inverter. Remember, the, uh, the rise time of the inverter 
depends on how quickly I can charge this capacitor through RL. So if I make my RL really large, I will consume less standby power from hundreds of kilowatts to merely tens of kilowatts, but you know, my, my gates will run as slow as molasses. Okay, so, uh, so clearly that's not a trade-off I would like to make. But so, you know, I could reduce my voltage to maybe a volt, but that just reduces it by a factor of 25 via squared. So clearly this is not, uh, this is not gonna work. Okay, I have to somehow, uh, somehow do something else, and that will be the topic of today's, uh, today's lecture. Also, um, I want to dwell for a moment on this term so if you look at um, uh, a, uh, the spec sheet for the IBM's ASIC process that we handed out, um, if you recall, it talked about power dissipation of 0 0.006 microwatts per megahertz per gate. Okay, now, now you see where it is coming from. Uh, per megahertz, that's because F uh, is a, uh, it's a multiple of F, the power. Second is that uh, it's per gate, so this is the power per gate. So as I have more gates, I just have uh, that much more uh, power dissipation. It also says power supply voltage in the range of 0.7 to 1.3, right next to the power uh, expression. So you can see why they tell you all of that, because uh, both the voltage and the frequency and the number of gates come into the power equation. Okay, this really simple expression here, uh, it's amazing how, how close this is to uh, what people use for the dynamic power in, uh, in, in chips. Okay. So as a next step, what I'd like to do is this guy. What do we do about that? Okay, so we've taught you to build, uh, build gates in a particular manner, but it's a non-starter. So how to get rid of static power? How do I get rid of static power? Okay, to, to do so, let's build up a little bit of intuition. Okay, so, uh, so the intuition goes as follows. So let's say I take my inverter, let me draw the circuit both in the on state and in the off state. So when V in is high, when V in is high, I get the MOSFET turning on and has the resistance R on, and VO is the output voltage. Similarly, when when V in is low, So when V in was high, VO was low because uh, R on is much less than RL, so this voltage was low. While here, when V in is low, the MOSFET is off. Okay, the MOSFET is off, and so I have an open circuit out here. And because of that open circuit, the voltage here was gonna be high because Vs would simply appear there. So let's stare at this and see if we can build up some intuition as to what to do. So when V in is low, I don't have any static power being dissipated because I don't have a connection from Vs to ground, okay? The current I is zero, and Vs simply appears at the output. And the reason this is so is I have a switch here. 
So when this is low, the switch opens up and cuts the path from power to ground. So this is a nice situation. Here, when V in was high, there, are no, there is no uh, switch that turns off. Rather, I get a connection from Vs to ground. Okay, so think about this uh, situation here. The insight here is just imagine. Imagine if I could do the following. Imagine if I could somehow magically elevate RL to be a very, very, very large number. If I could make this so high as to make the power really low only in the situation when the input was high. Okay? So imagine if I could do something like this. Imagine I could open circuit this guy, R on. So when V in was high, if I could, instead of uh, having an RL here, what if somehow I could make this RL become infinity? Okay? So in this case, output VO would be low. Okay, I get many benefits by doing this. One benefit is that, look, I've opened the switch here, so I don't have any standby current. Okay, the standby current is zero. Second benefit is that my output gets dragged down to ground. Okay, out here my output was Vs divided by R, Vs multiplied by R on divided by the sum of these two. Out here, I have a direct connection to ground and nothing to the power supply, Vs, and so therefore I have a nice solid low. So the question is that, can I, can I get the situation? Okay, that is the key insight. So imagine that somehow when this was high, I could get this to open up. Much like when this was low, I got this to open up. Okay, so think about it. So the intuition is that what I need is instead of a resistor here, what if I had something like the MOSFET that I have here? So I had a MOSFET here that turned off when V in was low. Okay, what if I did the complementary thing? What if I put in some kind of MOSFET here that would turn off when V in was high? Okay, so much like the MOSFET turned off when V in was low down here, imagine if I could find a device that would turn off when V in was high. Okay, uh, this would be on, but this would be off. So the behavior of this device would, would have to be complementary to this device. So, uh, so we need some sort of a switch, and to introduce this new little uh, uh, MOSFET device with the slightly different properties, let me quickly review for you the properties of the MOSFET that we know about. So our N-channel MOSFET, also called the NFET. This is what we've been seeing all this while. Uh, is drawn like this. I have a gate, I have a drain, I have a source. And this guy is on when, when VGS greater than or equal to VT. Okay, and off when VGS less than VT. You saw this before. Okay, nothing new here. So what I need is a device that behaves in a complementary manner. 
Okay, so uh, the device is a p-channel MOSFET. By the way, I must point out till until about 1980, 1983, 84, till the till the early 80s, uh, that's exactly pretty much how chips were designed. Okay, using a uh, NMOS, using a NFET for the switch looking down here, and a variety of different kinds of devices to be used as resistors. Okay, that's when um, the technology began moving towards this new kind of technology I'm going to talk about, and that dramatically reduced the amount of power consumed. And the P-channel MOSFET was, uh, uh, was created, and this guy is called the PFET. It's a complementary device, and it looks as follows. Okay, the difference here is that to show this is complementary, I'll put a little circle here. Uh, it has a gate. Okay, flip, uh, just to make things a little clearer, uh, flip the drain and source terminals. And this guy is on. And to distinguish the threshold voltage of this with the NFET device, let me put an N here to say that this is the VT for the N-channel device. VT for the N-channel device. And for this guy, this, this guy came on when VGS was greater than some voltage. So VTN could be, for example, one volt. So when VGS was more than one, this turned on. In this case, I want this to turn on when VGS is some value which is lower than, or, or much lower than the source voltage. Okay, so this guy turned on when the gate voltage was higher. This guy should turn on when the gate voltage is significantly lower than the source voltage, just the complementary behavior. Okay, so when VGS less than equal to VTP. And in this case, the, uh, the threshold voltage for the PMOS device, say, just as an example, maybe minus one volt. So this means that if the source is at, say, five volts, Okay, then this device would turn on if the gate, for example, uh, using that example, was less than four volts. So this is phi. If the gate fell below four volts, this gate would turn on. In this situation, remember, if this was at zero, the gate would have to be greater than one volt to turn on. In this situation, the gate has to be less than four volts if the source is at five to turn on. And it's off. Okay, so this is a complementary device that I postulate that behaves in a complementary manner. So the gate voltage rises, this guy turns on, and in this particular situation, when the gate voltage drops below the source voltage, this guy turns on. Okay, so one is the rising guy that turns on in this particular situation. When it falls, the gate turns on and shows some resistance. In this case, the resistance would be R on, and to show that it's N-channel, let me say N, and in this case, the resistance when turned on would be R on P to represent P channel. Okay, so now consider uh, the following circuit for the inverter. So instead of my resistor, I put a complementary device. Okay, and that's it. 
So all I've done here is replace my resistor with a MOSFET that behaves complementary to the N-channel MOSFET. So this is my gate, my drain, this is my source, my gate, my source, and my drain. Okay? And this guy is called a pull-up, and this guy is called a pull-down. Okay, and the reason is that this guy pulls the output to ground when it's turned on, while this guy, when uh, switched on, will pull this node up to Vs. So I pull it down or pull it up based on whether the Vn is high or low. So let's look at the two situations. So uh, let's say, as an example, my Vs is 5 volts, and let's say Vn in one situation being 5 volts, and another situation being equal to 0 volts. Let's draw the equivalent circuit in both these cases. So when Vn is high, I have my usual circuit. When Vn is high, this MOSFET As before, when V in is 5 volts, uh, the N-channel MOSFET below is turned on, and so I have an R-on resistance here. <clears throat> but remember, if V in is 5 and Vs is 5 volts, then the voltage across the drain and the source, I'm sorry, the source and the gate of this P-channel FET is now equal, 5 and 5. Okay? So this one will turn off. <clears throat> and that's the circuit that I get. <clears throat> the output is suitably low. In this situation, if V in is zero, what happens in this situation? This is my output. If V in is zero volts, the lower device turns off. This is zero, this is zero. This guy turns off. And so... That's the situation for the N-channel MOSFET. How about this guy here? What happens here? This is at 5. So let me just... Uh, this is at 5 volts. Okay? And V is at 0 volts. Okay, so therefore, the GS of this is minus 5 volts. If this is 0 and this is 5... G, source and drain. GS is minus 5 volts. And minus 5 volts is significantly less than the threshold minus 1 volt in our example. So this one will switch on. And if this one switches on, what I end up getting is, oops, R on P out there. So when this one kicks in, uh, it pulls the output high and VO goes high. So all I've done is replace my resistor with a complementary device, which switches off when the input is high and switches on when the input is low. And the beauty of this is that at no point, assuming all devices are ideal here, at no point do I have a short circuit between the output do I have a current path from the output to ground, from the, from the supply to ground? Okay, I have this turned off or this turned off. 
So this type of logic involving a PMOS transistor here and an N-channel transistor here is called CMOS logic for called complementary MOS logic. That's what CMOS comes from. Okay, so I'm, I'm sure you've read that in a number of places, oh yeah, it's, uh, uh, most digital chips today use CMOS technology. It comes from complementary MOS. And complementary comes from the use of complementary transistors, N-channel, P-channel. Turns on when high, turns, on, turns off when high. Turns off when low, turns on when low. Okay, they're exactly complementary to each other. So, uh, so for the past, so what you've seen here has been the workhorse of the digital industry for the past uh, two decades, 20 years, CMOS logic, okay? And even the most advanced chip, chip from Intel has an inverter that looks exactly like that, okay? A lot, you know, if you count all the inverters in the universe today, I would say a significant fraction of those look exactly like that, no difference, just so simple. So the key with something like that is there is no path from the from uh, the power supply to ground, and so by that model, I do not consume any standby power. Okay, my standby power in that idealized model is zero. So let's compute p. So what is p dynamic? Let's use the method that we adopted in the last lecture and draw the equivalent circuit and compute the power. Okay, so. I'm going to model the following situation. And assume that I drive a capacitive load C. Okay? And as an input, as I did the, the last time, I'm going to assume I have some input voltage V in that looks like this. cycle time t, and the frequency is 1 by t. And let me assume that this is t1 and this is uh, t2, okay? Um, and I'm assuming that t1 and t2 are both much larger than the, the uh, respective time constants, okay? The time constants when for discharging here is c R on N, and here the relevant resistance is R on P. The charging time constant is R on P times C. Okay, so T1 and T2 are assumed to be much greater than these two. So when you look at this, there is one other benefit besides the power benefit. Okay, can, uh, of using CMOS logic compared to NMOS. Okay, it not only cuts out my standby power, but there is another significant advantage, which is almost equal to the power advantage of this kind of CMOS technology. Anybody have any ideas? What's the advantage? What does your intuition tell you? Is CMOS going to be faster or slower than NMOS? Why? 
that's right. The key here is that the NMOS, the NMOS design I showed you earlier was relatively slow because it took, took me a while to charge up the load capacitor from the load uh, from, from RL. In this situation, RL has now become really, really small. It's R on P. It's roughly the same magnitude as R on N. Okay? So if, uh, both of these on resistances are more or less uh, are more or less equal and small, then the rise time will be of the same order of magnitude as the fall time, which makes us much faster than the uh, uh, the NMOS. In NMOS, my time constant was RLC, and RL was pretty large. In this case, it's R on P C, and R on P uh, can be made to be very small because when it's switched off, uh, the resistance here is infinity. So in this situation, if I assume T1 and T2 are much larger than uh, the, uh, the respective time constants, I can go ahead and draw my equivalent circuit. So, uh, so here's Vs. So for charging up, let's say this one is going to a 1 or to a high. So I have Vs going through a resistor R on P to capacitor. And uh, this thing is a switch. So I have R on P, an ideal switch, going to a capacitor C. This is my V out node. Okay, so it's uh, Vs going through a resistance R on P, an ideal switch to a capacitor C. That's a charging circuit. <clears throat> For discharging, I have C discharging through an ideal switch with the R on N. So in this situation, I have an ideal switch R on N. Okay? So that's the equivalent circuit for something like this. So in this, in this circuit, during T1, during T1, this guy's off and this guy's on. on during T1 and off otherwise. This guy is on during T2 and off otherwise. Okay, so just imagine, this guy switches on, this guy switches off, this guy switches on, this guy switches off. Okay, and remember, this is exactly the, the circuit I had analyzed last time in the last lecture and uh, with the double, with the result given by the double asterisk. And uh, that result was simply average power being C Vs squared F. That's the exact circuit we used to compute uh, the dynamic power C Vs squared F. Okay, so we're done. And how did this come about? This came about because the intuition here is that I'm charging up the capacitor fully and then I'm discharging the capacitor through this other side. Okay, and uh, I'm, I'm consuming power, dissipating power in these two resistances during charge up and during uh, the discharge. Half the power gets consumed during charge up and half during the discharge. So well, I'd like to go back to doing a few numbers here and uh, uh, taking a look at how, even with this expression, Life can get pretty uh, thorny as we uh, as we go ahead into the next uh, into the next decade. Okay, so for our previous example, 
uh, we'd assumed uh, that into the eight gates, f was one gigahertz, c was zero point one femtofarad, vs was five volts, and uh, I don't have uh, I don't need RL anymore. Okay, uh, why is it that I don't have any resistance component here? I don't have it here because the power consumed by the circuit is independent of those resistances, provided T1 and T2 are long enough, uh, are much longer than the time, the two time constants, R on P, C, and R on N, C. Okay, so I don't have RL in my equation anymore. I don't have any standby power. So uh, based on this calculation, uh, the calculation I did up there showed that I had 2.5 microwatts per gate, and for 10 to the 8 gates, I had uh, 250 watts for a chip with uh, 10 to the 8 gates. So I'd like to dwell on this. Uh, if you can move over to page eight in your uh, uh, notes here. Um, let me dwell on this for some time and uh, pontificate on a, on, a, uh, on a few things. First of all, uh, this number, as I said before, is high, but not a disaster. Okay, so it can, can use this in laptops. Okay, but it's quite okay for a desktop or a server and so on. Okay, if you if you just go and you know put your ear to your uh, to a pedestal computer, uh, you'll always hear it making a sound. Okay, and that sound is because of a big fan that's inside it. And uh, if you have a big enough fan, uh, 250 watts is not such a big deal. Okay, but uh, this is certainly a real problem for mobile devices. Okay, for a laptop, this is this is unthinkable. Okay, so uh, so we have to deal with this. The second issue. The second issue is the following, that this is, it's 250 watts for one gigahertz, okay? Now, in uh, the, the, the fastest Pentium 4s that money can buy today are what? How many, how many gigahertz? What's the fastest Pentium 4 you can buy today? What's that? So does anybody have a four gigahertz Pentium 4 here? Ah, oh, darn, you beat me. Uh, anybody have a three? Three gigahertz, oh, couple. So, um, so I have a, uh, I have a couple three gigahertz machines, and uh, our lab has you know a whole ton of them. Um, the so if Intel comes out with four gigahertz machines today, uh, they've been going up by about a gigahertz uh, every roughly every year for the past couple of years, and within three or four years, uh, we're going to see we're going to see chips. Uh, microprocessors that are in the five to ten gigahertz range. Okay, assuming that all all other things stay equal, uh, which which of course they're not. But just to give you some insight here, if uh, I, I clock these guys and build circuits that are ten times faster, then I very soon go up to two point five kilowatts. And I said again, all things being equal, which they're not. But just to give you a sense, as I increase my frequency, so does the power consumed by the chip. Okay, so I really have to do something here. So if I stare at this equation, C Vs squared F, I, I want to increase F because uh, you know, people will buy computers uh, if, if I have higher frequencies. Okay, and uh, 
Intel has managed to uh, use its marketing campaigns to pretty much convince consumers that high frequencies are a good thing. Okay, and whether whether they really you know mean anything or not, that's a different issue. So um, so we got this huge power for assuming five volts. Okay, so it turns out that microprocessors, as they come out, newer and newer versions run at lower and lower voltages. Okay, they they uh, invent technologies that use lower and lower voltages and go from VS five volts to uh, today VS of on the order of one point five uh, to one volt. Somewhere in that range. So the moment you do that, you get a 25x reduction in power. Okay, so so in going from uh, 2.5 kilowatts, you would now come down to something on the order of 100 watts, which is which is again much more reasonable. Again, all, all else being equal, it turns out that the capacitance of uh, devices also changes as you go and go to smaller and smaller uh, devices. Uh, now, 100 watts is also pretty. It's also pretty high, and still not good enough for mobile computers. So, um, so there are many, many other tricks that people use to get even lower uh, powers. One trick is to play games with the clock. Okay, what you do is, let's say, for example, in some computation, you are not going to be using your floating point unit. Or let's say you're not going to be using your integer adder unit. Okay, so what you can do is you can turn off the clock to those devices so that those devices do not even switch when they're not working. Okay, if you turn off the clock to a device, the device isn't going to switch, and so it's just going to sit there in, a, in limbo without consuming any power. It's uh, equivalent to turning off both transistors. If you turn off both the PMOS and NMOS somehow, okay, it's not consuming any power. And by doing that, you can further cut down the power. So if you, so if you can idle some of your function units, it's called idling a function unit. Idle a function unit for, let's say, a half the time, okay, you would cut down power by another factor of two. We can idle them 75% of the time, come down to 25 watts. So those are the classes of tricks that people play. Um, I'm going to stop here and uh, allow the uh, underground guide folks to, uh, to uh, do the survey. Um, but suffice it to say that the power discussion I've, I've gone through with you is, is a very high-level discussion as to the real, as to the real thing. In real life, what actually happens is that there is a fair amount of standby power even for CMOS logic. It turns out that although I don't have a path from VS to ground uh, for my two transistors, it turns out that there are many leakage currents. Okay, currents leak through all kinds of places, you know, through, uh, uh, through the drain of your inverter and, and, and so on and so forth. And so there is some standby power. So let me show you a quick demo while uh, I guess the uh, uh, the uh, the review handouts are going around. And uh, this just shows the temperature of my CMOS uh, inverter. And as I increase the frequency, you can just watch the temperature go up, and uh, hopefully we'll blow this transistor. So I'm in increasing the frequency, as you can see on the side here. And higher frequency implies more power consumption, uh, more temperature. Okay, And hopefully we'll see some smoke coming out of uh, gone. Okay, I think I blew the, uh, I think I blew the inverter, so the output is gone. So uh, it's at it's, it's at 110 uh, degrees there, and uh, I can blow it. Sometimes we've seen smoke come out, but I guess today is not one of our uh, lucky days. Okay, so th so let me stop here and uh, have the underground guide folks go through the uh, reviews.